What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. I had on the program the reigning USAPL national champion in the 105 kg weight class and also the founder of the strength athlete, Bryce Lewis. Uh, this was a terrific interview. I always enjoy talking to guys like Bryce because when someone is an extremely accomplished coach and extremely accomplished competitor and has contributed so much to the sport, it's always going to give this insight on the sport that I didn't have before. And I know I enjoy talking to him because it's always going to shed some light on information that I didn't know. Uh, and it was really interesting talking to him about how he got to start into powerlifting and how he transitioned his prior athletic experiences in volleyball and bodybuilding into being a competitor and also starting this extremely professional approach to powerlifting coaching that I think is the best in powerlifting. I might have a bias there, but I think it's the gold standard in powerlifting. And I see so many people mimic it. And it was cool to hear you know, his philosophies on why he did that and the benefits of that uh, coaching staff approach to powerlifting coaching. Uh, we also talked to him about his, him as a competitor. Um, he is in the ultra-competitive 105 kg weight class, and in my opinion, the best weight class in the USAPL and IPF, uh, and also the most entertaining. So I got his opinions on that and being competitor, uh, going against some of the monsters that compete in the 105 weight class, and also gives advice to young lifters starting off in the sport, technique tip, and we play word association as well. So terrific interview with Bryce. But before we get into that, got to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, go to leflarbros.com, use that promo code 2WL10 and get 10% off your order on any of their merchandise. Now, they have their baseball tees well on stock. That is what I'm going to be rocking primarily in the fall. They got their beanies as well. It's fall, almost winter, so I got to wear my beanies. They got the Two White Lights banners. Those are sold exclusively on Leflar Bros. You don't get those on twowhitelights.com. That is on Leflar Bros, and you can get all that with 10% discounted price if you use that promo code 2 w 10 And all of you who are belong to Search the New Levels in Carroll Stream, Illinois, they have merchandise and two white lights banners available to purchase at Surge. So be on the lookout for that as well. Also, visit Rivalist.net and get yourself informed choice supplements. That little check mark at the bottom of your pre-workout, of your protein powder, of your Brantan amino acids are going to be extremely important if you are a tested lifter. I'm a tested lifter, so I use Rivalist supplements. All of its informed choice, so we're good. Use promo code ANGELO15 and you will get 15% off your order. And you guys know I only use Stoic gear on the platform and in training. Go to lift.net and get your knee sleeves, singlet, wrist wraps belts, all USAPL and IPF approved. Use that promo code ANGELO10. You get 10% of your order. I only use Stoic Gear on the platform. I love it. And it's best bang for your buck, in my opinion, throughout all the equipment companies that are IPF and USAPL approved. So be sure to go to lift.net. Also, new sponsor alert, Notorious Lift Slippers, now sponsors Two White Lights. I had Joe Chow on a previous episode of Two White Lights, so you guys know a little bit about Notorious Lift Slippers. And you guys, of course, know that I used to deadlift in squat shoes like a complete dumbass. And the very first option of flat shoes that I chose were Notorious Lifts. Um, 
One, they look amazing. You want to look good on the platform. You're going to look good on the platform if you use Notorious Lift slippers. Also, they feel terrific. I love them while deadlifting and benching for that sake, but you really are glued into the floor while you do that. The grip on it, no slip grip. That's why they have that tagline for a reason. It is an excellent shoe option for deadlifting and, in my opinion, benching. And a lot of people do squat with them too. So uh, be sure to follow Notorious Lift Instagram page and be on the lookouts for their drops because they don't have a huge selection if you go on NotoriousLift.com. You have to go on the Instagram page to really see when the drops are coming and the amount of different designs they have. And those drops always look amazing and they can always satisfy whatever taste you have. I know they have for me. And again, I like to look on the platform. I also like to lift well on the platform and they help me do that. And they're going to help you do that as well if you go and visit Notorious Lift. And without further ado, here it is, two white lights. And as promised, I got with me via Zoom, reigning 105kg national champion in the USAPL and Mr. TSA himself. I got with me Bryce Lewis, long-awaited interview. People have been wanting for you to come on Two White Lights for a really long time, so I'm happy that you're on. Well, I appreciate you having me, man. Thanks so much. Yes. Smoking a cigar on Sunday morning. I'm here. Uh, had some coffee a little bit ago and uh, just uh, hanging out. Just to be clear, I'm smoking a cigar. Bryce Lewis is not. <laughs> I'm not smoking a cigar. Yeah. Yeah, but my yeah my 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 uh, ritual for recording podcasts: uh, smoking a cigar and drinking coffee. But I gotta actually, <laughs> I actually gotta bring this up before we start anything. So last year around Raw Nationals, um, people were requ- I always put the questionnaire out: Who would you like to see on Two White Lights? And people uh, have recommended that, or have suggested that you come on. And I posted on my sto- story that I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, I would love to have Bryce Lewis on, but um, I think he's too smart. And I spelled smart incorrectly. <laughs> and I was like, all right, maybe I should hold off on interviewing anyone for a long time because I just smelled, I just spelled smart incorrectly when describing someone as smart. So. Um, and also, I got to bring this up as well, because this is actually a pretty cool uh, story. My friend attended one of your seminars, uh, Matt Wallace. He attended oh, one of cool. the seminars, and he said, hey, he DM'd me, he's like, hey, I had to name drop you to uh, to Bryce, because um, they were talking about sumo deadlift and like a hybrid stance, and I bought up that you have a hybrid stance, but in squat shoes. And he's like, he's like, so I get, and then he's like, once I mentioned the squat shoes part, he's like, okay, I got to see this. And he's like, he deadlifts over 700 pounds in squat shoes. Really? And he gave him a video and he's like, well, it works, I guess for him. I don't know. And, uh, he DM'd me. He's like, yeah. So if anyone ever talks shit about your deadlift again, just remember that Bryce Lewis is like, yep, that works for him. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's really true. Like 
I harp on this quite a bit about like, you know, these technique gold standards and really just comes down to what works for the athlete mm-hmm. and take some fiddling. Actually, I'm, I'm switching the interview around really quickly just because I've been really curious about this. How did you end up with your deadlift stance? Um, yeah. So when I used to like to start off in like weightlifting, uh, didn't get into powerlifting competitively until I was 23, but I always did, you know, squat bench and deadlift, um, just as far as like a bodybuilding type workout too. Um, also, people listening, if you guys want to build muscle, squat, bench, and deadlift, excellent exercises for doing that. They should probably not, you know, venture out from your programming too much. But um, when I did, I did, I started off with conventional, um, was getting a lot of lower back discomfort while I was doing conventional. So I'm like, man, might as well do sumo. I'm like, there's no reason not to. I'm like, I could build muscle in, you know, a, a variety of different ways. And I was just super uncomfortable being wide, like what I saw on the internet. When people were doing sumo, people were pretty wide. I'm like, I don't, I can't do that. Like, it feels very uncomfortable. So I just kept on narrowing it down into a position where I was able to stay upright and it didn't hurt my hips or lower back as much. So, okay. yeah, it was cool. a lot of trial and error. Like, if you, when I was at, you know, a commercial gym just doing, like, it would have been your kind of standard, actually a little bit of a, a real sloppy, like, sumo, where, like, my knees were kind of caving in. Um, but as uh, actually the squat shoes, I think helped me with the position uh, uh-huh. for it because like with the flats, I think I was getting a little bit. I don't know. I like. I think I was just. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't point my toes out with my Converse All Stars. It was weird. Uh-huh. Like I couldn't do it. And then I put on the squat shoes. I'm like, oh, okay, this works. Uh, and they said power lift on the tongue. So I'm like, okay, they're power lifting shoes. You power lift. <laughs> you power lift is in, in these shoes, right? So I'm like, you do it for all three lifts. Um, so, uh, yeah, like once that stood with me as long as competing goes, but yeah, I think it was just the, just maintaining my position with that hybrid stance. Oh, it's, it's unique and it's, it's cool. I like seeing high, high profile, like highly executed examples of like unconventional technique, because if I ever come across a lifter, that's, you know, the conventional thing isn't working for, I can say, here's a role model of someone who figured it out a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like, um, there's a lot of lifters who are able to do that with is like just changing up their technique to fit the way their leverages work. And I mean, really I was inadvertently just creating a better leverage for myself too. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. It was just all out of comfort, but I was creating a better leverage yeah. in the process. So first question I have for you, because extremely accomplished career already in powerlifting with TSA, as I mentioned, um, I've mentioned TSA a lot on the show. My coach being Joe Stanek, I obviously think extremely high of your coaching staff, but you also are an extremely accomplished competitor. So, how did you get your start into powerlifting and fitness in general? And then how did the transition get into the coaching aspect? Uh, so I started uh, playing volleyball in high school and college. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't tremendously good, but you know, good enough to, to play on a club team. And I was the captain there in, in college. And I ended up coaching for a few years after that. And just, I really enjoyed volleyball. If, if you never get a chance to see uh, indoor six-person volleyball, like the, the speed of the game, the athleticism, it's, it's amazing, the teamwork. Um, and at some point, I found bodybuilding.com as this forum to try to get myself stronger for, for, um, wow, for volleyball. And um, 
you know, started bodybuilding, found the, the natural bodybuilding forums there, met some friends and did natural bodybuilding for a few years and then uh, found that I was enjoying like the heavy lifting more than the dieting and, you know, stepping on stage and the tan and stuff like that. It's just, I like the training, but the, the competitive aspect of stepping up on stage and, you know, whether or not I, I won or lost, it just didn't, didn't qualify like how much work it took to get there. And that's mostly like the dieting side of things. So, mm-hmm. uh, you just stick with the training. And I think, uh, one time I did a powerlifting meet in the off season between two bodybuilding competitions and I just really enjoyed it. Um, I had a lot of fun. I did well. Uh, I liked the, the atmosphere and the environment and pushing myself and performing and, and just kind of stuck with it and, um, had some early success and kept doing well. And that's, that's the athlete side. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it just, you know, left bodybuilding in the dust pretty early on. Actually, I guess this is around 22 or so. Um, on the coaching side, I, I had been a, um, uh, an undergrad philosophy student got my degree there and was kind of in this, uh, in this period of uncertainty about like what I really wanted to do. You know, do I go back to grad school for philosophy? Do I pursue something else like, uh, neuroscience, which is a kind of a big armchair passion of mine. Um, you know, do I become a volleyball coach full time for this club and, and do that? And thanks to a few like influential conversations, I decided to start coaching at least and then figure out, you know, kind of, kind of what else to do, but, mm-hmm. um, do this, do this passion. Originally I wanted to, to join 3DMJ as a coach for them. Uh, that's, that's who coaches me now is Eric Helms from 3DMJ. And, um, and they thought, well, sure I could, but they thought that I could go out and kind of strike it out on my own and, and be successful. So that was one of those conversations of just kind of like a, a you can do this kind of moment. And mm-hmm. I, I needed a little bit of that push. So, um, so yeah, I started TSA in, in late 2013 and, and it's been, it's been my only business since then. Yeah. So let me ask you this, uh, because this is just something I'm curious about and this is more of your opinion and uh, I guess a debate topic. Would you say power or bodybuilding would be kind of the best foundation for people getting into powerlifting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it helps a lot, uh, because there's such a, a high correlation between muscle mass and your ability to, to be the best powerlifter, that's absolutely one of the best starts, mm-hmm. you know? And it's no surprise that we see uh, D1 football athletes, gymnasts, uh, like all these people have such a head start when they get into powerlifting. Something something where the energy systems match powerlifting pretty closely, I think are going to be way up there. So bodybuilding, yes. Gymnastics, um I'm trying to think of what else might be a good start. Even some track and field type of stuff would be mm-hmm. um, would be pretty damn good. Um, but is bodybuilding the best start? Maybe. Maybe it is. Yeah, it was always like for as far as debate topics go, because when I get into conversations about this, you know, I think people always go to like the big time D1 athlete like football. I think football player would probably be the first thing they think of. But I was thinking, like, I think it could be a little bit more beneficial if, say, in high school, throughout college or something, you just build muscle and build, like, you know, muscle mass and dense muscle and then got into powerlifting, you'd be much better off than, say, playing, you know, being a running back for, you know, your high school and college game. I know you're doing strength and conditioning in the meantime, but 
you're one, you're getting all that wear and tear on your body. Um, so you never know the what's going to happen in your future as far as injuries go. And bodybuilding, the whole aspect, the whole the whole point of it is to build muscle. So muscle, and then you know the transition into uh, to powerlifting is is key. And I, I like I always think of that because I, I think it gets neglected just a bit. I think people have acknowledged that bodybuilding is. Pro- I mean, that's technically what I did was right after I was done playing football. I strictly did bodybuilding type stuff. I wasn't doing like, okay, let's work on my one or a max and let's, you know, try to get this rep range of a, a double to triple down and like I tried to hit PRs like for my doubles and triples and so forth. It wasn't like that. It was just, I was on very similar to you, bodybuilding.com forms. Just wanted to put on some muscle because I always thought that was awesome. Always thought putting on, I always thought um, just uh, bodybuilding was cool. Not competing, is, but, but just putting on muscle, like the, the, the principle of it was cool to me. Um, the comp- competition aspect I was had no interest in, but the muscle building I definitely yeah. did. And, you know, I think that helped me for a long – like people will say, you know, you started powerlifting when you're 23. It's like I started lifting weights when I was 15. So that's almost 10 years of experience mm-hmm. just me lifting weights prior to me stepping on the platform. And it had immediate success. Like the transition from that was much easier for me, and I had really, you know, pretty decent success early on. But I think when people go on Instagram, they would see like, okay, this athlete who's doing this is going to be so much well better off in the sport. I'm like, maybe that's a little bit misguided. I think maybe the, the bodybuilding aspect of it. Yeah, I like what you mentioned about just the injury risk when you're doing, especially a contact sport like mm-hmm. football and, and having to deal with the aftermath of that. Um, and, and I mean, truly when you do bodybuilding, you also get kind of this library of background movements that you end up having to do when you're powerlifting anyways, you know, you understand a hip hinge really well, you know, you understand what a press is really well. And those kind of things give you a head start on learning technique. And, you know, and also to, uh, to go off one of your points, getting into coaching, you mentioned three DMJ. I did not know you were coached by Eric Helms until last year. My buddy Mike told me, um, and I got to ask as far as three DMJ goes in TSA, was that your vision for creating your coaching staff was after that model from 3DMJ? Because I see the similarities between, and I'm, I've talked about 3DMJ a lot on the show. Um, like they're like the, the people that I, they, I know they don't know I exist, but like they were seriously one of the first groups of people like Eric Helms, for example, like he might've been the first YouTube video I watched him and Lane Norton and, um, and Nunez from it. Like, those might have been the three guys that I watched and like seriously when I was just learning about powerlifting and now I, and I see the correlations out between 3DMJ and uh, strength athlete. Yeah, it's, it's definitely no secret. I've taken a lot of inspiration from them uh, in a lot of ways. And, and part of that was just my close relationship with Eric, but certainly kind of a mentoring relationship of seeing what was successful, why it was successful and, and what we ultimately wanted to provide for athletes. And, and um, yeah, the, absolutely a big role model in 3DMJ and just kind of like um, the spirit of helping as much as possible, you know, focus on athletes, um, like kind of a, a team dynamic between the coaches too, as much as we can, you know, make time in our schedules. That's all really important to me. And I think uh, athletes end up with uh, better coaching as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So explain the benefits of having that, that team of coaching, uh, the team of coaches working together, like where, where, 
where would it help a lifter more having that dynamic as opposed to just a singular person doing everything? Mostly when someone works with TSA, they work with one coach and from their perspective, they probably won't see a whole lot of, of the other coaches or, or dynamic there, but behind the scenes, we are uh, troubleshooting athletes with each other sometimes. So uh, something comes up where, uh, you know, we can't figure out how to give someone advice on technique, you know, particularly just weird technique that, that we can't figure out how to troubleshoot. We'll ask the other coaches and we'll kind of all brainstorm together and, and give some new ideas or a fresh perspective or similar thing with a certain lift for an athlete that's not progressing as much as we want. And it's also just like this hotbed of, of new ideas. So um, it's important for me when I started at TSA and just kind of as uh, as someone who's leading TSA to not stifle the ideas of the other coaches. So I want everyone to kind of have room to create their own unique coaching style. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how are they going to um, figure out the nuts and bolts of programming and yet still have kind of these generalized uh, evidence-based roots that, you know, that, that we want to follow. And um, that's really special because, within that we get some great ideas, you know, so Hanny has done a really good job with, uh, APRE auto-regulated progressive resistance exercises and kind of just like fixed load increases from week to week. And that's one thing he brought to the table early on and Eric, some really important contributions on relative intensity and just kind of balancing relative intensity and Joe with, uh, kind of the more sub-maximal approach and differences in training volume and kind of more extremes. So, you know, low rep, higher intensity work and high rep, low intensity work and how to balance all that. And, uh, I think all the athletes benefit behind the scenes from this kind of, um, this bed of ideas that we all uh, bring together and, and they end up with these kind of balanced training approaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't really realize that when I started getting coaching from Joe, uh, and then we started going through our video check-ins, it was, it was cool to find out when he was just talking to me and like, uh, yeah, I talked to the guys at TSA and I was like, and they were suggesting that my stance got a little bit wider and I did, I'm like, Oh, you guys talk to each other. Awesome. I'm like, all right, I'm in better hands now. I'm like, you guys are bouncing ideas off each other. And that makes me feel safer as an athlete because it's, you know, it, I know that you, Hani and Eric can give me excellent advice just as Joe can. Um, so it, it's like, I, and I am open to advice is not from my coach, but from other people. And knowing that there's a professional exercise science powerlifting coach, you know, still not monitoring me exactly, but still conversing about, you know, my progress just a bit is a real good feeling to have. And it will definitely benefit lifters by doing that. Yeah. My, my dream is something that we don't have yet, but we want to work our way toward. And, uh, and this is partly from being a volleyball coach and just kind of seeing what happens with the volleyball coach. So like I've, I've had an opportunity to help out with um, high performance, which is like the scouting branch of USA uh, volleyball. Mm -hmm. And you know, like they, they run the tryouts for the athletes that ultimately end up on team USA and on the Pan American team and all these different things. And like, there's, there's a staff of coaches. There's like, you know, head coach, assistant coach, uh, helper coaches, uh, at, at Team USA Volleyball, they have uh, an exercise science person, they have a rehab person, they have sports psychology, because this is, you know, like, it's the same as D1 football, you know, you have mm -hmm. specialized coaches for these different things, and, and that's kind of this model that I've always wanted to get to for powerlifting, like, just the most, if I was an athlete, 
what would I most want uh, as far as like care and support and stuff like that? I would want a team of coaches who all had my best interest in mind, who are all working together for me. Mm-hmm. And so like, ultimately I would love to bring on a, um, a physical therapist that, you know, is just like on staff for, for athletes and, and can work with the coaches and work mm-hmm. with the athlete. I would want a sports psychologist for kind of the same reason. And like everyone working. So you, you would basically have like three coaches. Mm-hmm. You would have your, your main coach does your programming. You would have a sports psychologist who gave you, you know, stuff to, to work on, you know, on a monthly basis or something like that. And then you would have a PT on, on staff who was kind of taking care of small aches and pains and just making sure that you stood stayed as healthy as possible. Yeah, that would be, that would be awesome. Um, that idea, because you're mentioning, I mean, you're mentioning volleyball on the D1 level, but that's like, that's every single sport in the collegiate and professional level is they have professional coaches helping them along the way. Um, and they do have in, in some sense, three or four coaches. Like if you look at football, I guess that's the best example for me. You got your head coach, um, you got your position coach, and then you got your coordinator for whatever, you know, side you play on. Then you have your strength and conditioning coach. And you have your uh, physical therapist, too. So they're answering to a lot of people, and that's because they take it really seriously. And I think what you guys are doing, I don't know if this was advertent or inadvertent, but I think the the seed has been planted, in, especially in the USAPL and IPF, for this real professional approach to coaching. Where when I started powerlifting in 2016, I didn't really see that. I didn't actually really, I neglected coaching. I didn't think coaching was necessary because I saw what coaches did for people. And I was like, I feel like I could do that myself. And I feel like I could run a program and then call my, and then a game day coaching. I'm like, I could call my own attempts. Like, it's not a big deal. And then I think it was once I got into the USAPL, that's when I saw the differences between good coaching and one, not having a coach and just bad coaching in general. Because what you're suggesting, and if you guys haven't listened to this podcast, I am going to plug another podcast on my podcast, but the hybrid podcast with Steffi Cohen and Garrett Fear, they talked a lot about, and Hayden Bow um, there too, Steffi Cohen, Hayden, Garrett talked about professionalism in coaching, professionalism in just powerlifting in general. And that was what attracted me to TSA was, I don't know if it was intentional, but you guys have a professional feel when you go to meets. When you're coaching, you have the collared shirts, you know what you're doing, you're intended to your athletes, there's this showing of professionalism, and Steffi Cohen was like, she's like, if you're a coach, act like a coach. Don't go to meet in sandals and, you know, and, and like this cut-off shirt and looking like a goofball. Like, actually look, the part, dress the part as the coach, be professional about it, and I think your suggestions have been heard and your practices have been heard, you know, around the USAPL and IPF where people are starting to mimic it, which is excellent, but also it has an Olympic feel to it as well. Cause you know, we're describing division one athletes, Olympic athletes also do the same things. They have multiple coaches that they have to deal with and it's, it, they, they make it more of their lives They're because it's a, a profession for them. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is, is intentional. And part of it, it's just kind of like, idolizing idolizing other sports and, mm-hmm. and maybe someday where powerlifting will will get to and uh, fake it till you make it kind of thing but certainly the goal early on was to be professional coaching you know like 
you know, I even had a conversation like very, very early on with myself. Look, if I, if I want to do this, I'm, I'm going to try to be as professional as possible. So mm-hmm. I basically locked myself in my bedroom for like two weeks and, and, um, got to work on making a website and branding and colors and, and, you know, what is my messaging? Why am I doing this? And I think for anyone listening, like if you want to start off on this, start with some kind of a mission statement or a set of values that represent who you are, you know, like what do you, what do you support? You know, what's your, what's your mission? And I think if you clarify that um, it can really kind of help everything else kind of down the line. And mm-hmm. just kind of clarify your vision and, you know, what you what you ultimately want to get out of this. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, and I, and I see other coaches. I think um, I brought this up on the podcast. I think Noriega is doing a really good job of legitimizing his coaching as well. And I think other coaches in the USAPL are making it further legitimate. And I hate to pull, you know, the USAPL elitist card out. Um, but I kind of have to now because I'm in the USAPL is when I look at the difference between that and then the USPA and something like that, where they can't really, they can't coordinate with each other. And there's always this weird drama going on with like between coaches and coach hopping and all that stuff. I'm like, where's there? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some great USPA coaches out there, but the thing that lacks in the untested federations is the professionalism. Like, there's just no professionalism as far as how to handle an athlete. It's it's seemingly a money grab, or uh, not, occasionally I don't even think it's a money grab. Of course they're collecting money, but it's an ego grab, too. It's a it's an ego thing of just having a bunch of clients under you um, and not necessarily giving them the best programming you can or really or taking on too many clients and giving them, like, just, you know, just being neglectful from it, too. So, um, yeah. Like I would, I would have had, like I was at Power Surge, and I, like when I see Joe Sullivan, I'm like, okay, this is the guy who's trying to do that. Like he's trying to be professional about it. When I see him coach, I I only got to see him do game day coaching once. I'm like, he's he's trying really hard for it to be that you know almost like a TSA, if you will, of you know USPA. Is this kind of carry that professionalism? Yeah, Joe, and I got to I got to see more conversation. Oh my bad. Um, Joe just came up in a, a conversation that we were having yesterday. Uh, one of our buddies here in Colorado got injured and kind of had to get carried off the platform at a competition. And uh, Joe from like 30 feet away ran and, and came to go help. And like, that's, that's a, that's a good move. You know, it's, it's just be able to help when you can, you can tell, you know, he really just cares about people and wants to do right. And I, if you start with that attitude, it's hard to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of Joe, one of those guys who has an extremely accomplished background as being a competitor and a coach, very similar to you. So let's get on the, you know, the athlete side of this. You are the reigning champion uh, for the USAPL in uh, national champion 105 uh, kilo weight class. So how, how do you find the balance between the two as being an athlete and a coach? Because it's not common. It's not very common in the USAPL to see someone kill it on both realms, and you're doing it, and you've you've continued to do it. You have a long, illustrious powerlifting career. So, has, has there ever been issues with balancing it, and have you found a formula to balancing it? Uh, yeah, early on, it was more difficult than it is now. I think the problem that I had early on was bringing my work into the gym with me and I really had to kind of just put a hard line between those and you know stop checking my email while I was training uh or you know just make sure that 
athletes weren't expecting uh, responses while I was training, you know, mm-hmm. so can, can people just reach me all the time on messenger or like, how, how am I putting out my ears when, when athletes need me and just making sure that at the same time, they also feel supported, you know, so just not like just turning off completely, but saying, Hey, these are my training times or, or this is kind of when, when I normally train and just kind of setting up systems that, that respect that. So kind of that boundary, um, was, was important early on, but I mean, outside of that, I live a fairly stress-free life, you know, sitting in front of a desk for 10 to 12 hours a day is, is not very stressful compared to, you know, manual labor or, you know, uh, air traffic control or, you know, any, any really, really important job that, that people go through. So there's not a whole lot of stress. And so it makes training fairly easy mm-hmm. you know, I can eat whenever I want. I, I work from home. So I have it pretty easy on that side of things, you know, and I just, I want to kind of, you know, set that out and make that clear. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's hard training on, uh, on the powerlifting side of things and, uh, you know, balancing work and making sure that I I give myself some hours, uh, on the work side and and not just work around the clock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would assume there would be a lot of trial and error in that kind of balancing the two. Um, and I've seen, and I've seen other coaches try to balance it too, and it makes sense to me. I see a logical approach to things, which I think you definitely have taken. So as far as the competitor aspect of you, is there more of um, when you're coaching, does the competitive aspect come out more, or does it come out more when you're competing on the platform yourself? Good question. Uh, I get super fired up when my athletes are – are lifting and especially when you know they hit PRs and, and we're executing the plan. But I put on a mask of uh, kind of professionalism because I think that athletes feed off of your energy when you're handling them mm-hmm. in a meet. Um, and so if if you're scared, they're going to be scared. If you're antsy, they're going to be antsy. And so you kind of have to be like the smooth, calculated one that that they know that things are going in the right direction or mm-hmm. if they miss a lift, you know, you, you can kind of talk them off the ledge and say, Hey, look, this is fine. Let's stay on task. You know, we can review everything later, but just, um, I, I try to just let that hype out when I'm handling people just in very little mm-hmm. pieces and, you know, let it all out at the end when we're done, but just, you know, we've got a job here to do until then on the athlete side of things. Um, it's, it's hard not to get excited when you hit big lifts and stuff. So like, you know, big third squat, big third deadlift, uh, and just kind of when you finish the whole damn thing, man, it just, it feels so good. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I do all this stuff is just, you know, those PRs, which are more rare these days and it kind of makes them more valuable too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I've, I've seen like, uh, coaches understanding their athlete and how they work. I mean, like it kind of takes dynamic between the coach and athlete to like say you're getting hyped or something and you have a lifter that's a little bit more, you know, in a moment of Zen and calm, like kind of keeping those emotions in for a long time. I think Joe has done an excellent job. I think he find out that I constantly, I constantly need, uh, like, uh, like affirmations that I'm doing something right. Like at, on the platform. Cause I always, I at the Arnold. I was asking him like my warms, like, does that look good? He's like, Yeah. And he like looked at me confused, like, wait, does it not feel good? And I'm like, no, it feels good. And I'm wondering if it looked good. He's like, okay. So like now he, I think he has the, uh, the tendency to be like, all right, I got to tell Angelo that he's doing good because, uh, he's, yeah. 
He's yeah. a delicate little flower who needs to who needs to know that at all times. <laughs> Man, that's that's such an interesting thing, you know, like in in relationships, you know, like romantic relationships. Um, it is it's more rare, but it's so much better when you say like, "Hey, this is what I need mm-hmm. uh, from you," or like, you know, this is this is what I need you to give me and just like being very explicit about it. And like, it's the same thing in, in coaching relationships, you know? So, um, I I perform best when like, I'll have a conversation with an athlete before a competition and say, Hey, tell me exactly what you need. Do you want me to slap you in the face before you get out on the platform? Like, do you want me to stay 20 feet away and just, you know, you're going to put on your headphones and I'll just call the numbers, you know, like, how do you want this all to go down? And I think when you, when you set all that out at the outright, like things go way, way better than trying to have to figure things out on the fly. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and then I guess with the competition aspect, um, I often think that you, Winning 2019 gets forgotten because there's another, you know, 105 kg lifter out there who's constantly killing it, and that's Ashton Rouska. So, I mean, as, as a competitor, you know, breaking news, because this is going to air on Monday, but Saturday, so that was yesterday when we were recording, Ashton fucking demolished the competition and did an amazing job, uh, totaled 950 kilos. And as a lifter, are you, you know, watching that? Are you really paying attention to being like, okay, this is what we got to top to in order to beat him? Because I'm assuming, like, you know, you you want to constantly reign over that division. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm always trying to push myself, and it's this balance between trying to beat my previous self and trying to beat other people. You know, focus on self versus focus on other, and it's uh, it is it's not been easy. Uh, so. For some people, I think watching competitors motivates them, uh, and I think for others, it's demotivating, and it just kind of depends on how much you focus on them versus you focus on yourself. Um, Ashton's an insane lifter, and it's hard not to like get wind of his stuff or wind of you know what other one of five athletes are doing. I try not to seek it out. I try not to follow. So I don't follow my competitors on Instagram, um, and I'll just kind of hear about their lifts and stuff. Part of so let's let's take a look at other sports. You know, like mm-hmm. tennis players aren't following other tennis players. Baseball players aren't following other baseball. Or I, I assume at least. Uh, and to to, to an extent, track, they got to scout. They got to yeah, do scouting yeah, for sure. And powerlifting, you don't need to scout. And, and powerlifting, you can't like this is his weakness. Like now, like you can't fucking you can't you can't utilize someone's weakness really on the platform. You can't like yeah, yeah. do something that'll affect only, your performance. only if you're head to head. Yeah. Yeah. If you two are at the same competition, then, you know, maybe yeah. there's some stuff you can do. But yeah, I mean, so I, I've really tried to just focus on myself and, and set this line in the sand that says, you know, I'm going to be able to do what I can do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just uh, no surprise, Ashton's insane. Mm-hmm. And it's been, <laughs> it's been crazy watching his progress. Um, I think he's still kind of in this growing phase from 93s yeah. up to 105s. And you know, that increase in muscle mass certainly has given him some better leverages and and some better ability to push through some big ass lifts. Yep. So I'm competing this coming weekend. I'm excited about that, and I've got some good numbers in plan, and and we'll see how things go. Yeah, I'm excited to see that because for 105s, um, and I have to ask you like what it was like competing at nationals because I was front and center for that competition. Um, in my opinion, the most entertaining prime time session was the 105s i had one i was 
drinking a little bit more than the entire prime times at that 105. Uh, me, there was a good video of me and Gino drinking out of a flask, so that was good. Uh, my flask, uh, pre-coronavirus, so we, you know, the the uh, the germs that were shared, you know, we didn't care about. But it was like I was looking at like this is a competition. When people talk about in the USAPL about competition, this is what I'm looking for. Because, you know, all respect to 74 kilo lifters, the 74 kg weight class, at Nationals, it was kind of close, but it wasn't really close. And now with Perkins totaling 800, there's a two-horse race going on with him and Atwood. Like, like to me, that isn't really competitive when there's a two-horse race. In that competition, the 105s, it was you, Mikey D, and Ashton Roscoe really competing against each other, and you can see it out on the platform. And it's the most intriguing. You're, you, I, in my opinion, it doesn't get like the same social media presence, even though it totally should. I might, I might be the, the one who tries to push that on two white lights, being like, hey, we should start focusing on 105s because that to me is the most entertaining weight class because you get competition and you get the best things about powerlifting. Competition, three very close lifters, and insane numbers insane ridiculous numbers you're talking about you know these 800 pound squats you're talking about these big deadlifts you're talking about massive bench presses this is the best part about powerlifting is what you guys are doing and when i see that i'm i I get inspired but i gotta know like for the one who actually won the competition how was it like competing in this ultra competitive stage uh i did not think i was gonna win so, like, even going to the competition, I was kind of making, like, mental contingency plans of, like, what if I lose? Well, this is what I'll do next. And that comes from – so, you know, everyone wants to be their biggest fan and, you know, just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to win. But it's hard to keep that attitude when you when you look at the numbers and you see Ashton, you know, throwing up the training total that he hit before Nationals, you know, at, at a pretty reasonable RPE that he's, you know – he doesn't have to cut weight. He's, you know, he was 93 kilos or something like that. You know, just yeah. comfortably, maybe 97 or something. He was comfortably in the class and thinking, well, you know, I'm going up against that. And so I kind of like checked out, quote unquote, from the competition and focused on myself instead and said, you know what, regardless of the competition, I'm going to do my best when I put up my biggest total. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to focus on myself and put up the biggest total I can. And if it happens to be close enough to play the numbers game and see if we can set up a chance where Ashton makes a mistake and, and I get to win, then then we'll do that. And that's that's kind of what happened. And I have to thank um, the coaches that I had on the day. Matt Gary was helping. Uh, Eric Helms, my coach, is kind of helping from afar. Natalie Hans was helping. Even Eric Bodhorn was helping. And so I had great people kind of putting the right weight on the bar and, and seeing what we can do. So I missed my third deadlift. Uh, it happened that Ashton missed his third deadlift too. And just the numbers shook out that, that I was on top that day. Mm-hmm. And it's not a fluke, you know, like anything can happen the day of competition. And, uh, I think oftentimes people say, Oh, well, what if, uh, but it's not what if like, that's, that's what happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, the next time Ashton and I are together on a platform, things might shake out differently, mm-hmm. you know, but, you got to show up and competing in competition is very different from putting up a training total. Yes, absolutely. And that's, um, I guess, uh, no, as far as your, like your weekend competition is, you know, cause he just totaled nine fifty. Is there a number like, okay, now I got to hit this in order to stay competitive. 
or is it just, you know, we're going to put the best total possible. Then once we go head to head in competition, that's when, you know, that's when things actually matter is the head to head aspect of it. Right. I mean, you know, as well as I do, like just because someone else in your weight class squatted 300, like you can't load it up in the gym and, and squat mm-hmm. it right now, you know, so yeah, you are, just have to focus on the numbers. Yeah, there are some off. lifters who do that and they're pretty much all in the 74 kg weight class. <laughs> they just like, oh, what did, what did my, what did the competition hit? Let me load that, load it on Instagram and say, I'm back. <laughs> that'll, that'll be a great way of going about it. Right. Right. So, um, no, I mean, there was, so we were watching Ashton and depending on what he did there, there was maybe a chance at an American record squat. Um, so I was going to see if I could take that. Sounds like that's off the table now, Mm -hmm. definitely off the table. Um, so it's just back to focusing on me and, uh, do what we can. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, another one Oh five competitor that's kind of coming in is, uh, Rondell Hunt again. So, He's been putting in. Yeah, Rondell is. So it just adds to my argument that I just, the 105s are awesome. Like, I really love watching them compete and train and do all those things. Like, I'm becoming a huge 105 kilo fan. Like, like so the the amount of numbers that they're moving has been incredible to me. You can join us, man, anytime you want. <sighs> can I really? <laughs> can I honestly? I think I have a better chance of being a 74 than um, than a 105 at this point. I gotta still, I gotta still be 83. Like I gotta, yeah, I gotta start yeah. weighing that weight. <laughs> Hopefully down the line, I could be 105. If I ask Ashton, he will tell me I could be 105 by uh, 2021. <laughs> he's yeah, he's like you could. Like I, Ashton, I don't think you'd understand how my body works as opposed to yours. I don't think you're. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very motivating guy. Uh, shout out to FCAT. But, um, yeah, very motivating guy, Ashton is. Um, yeah, so, that, I mean, that's that's an interesting take on it. Um, and as far as just, like, waiting for a competition for that to really happen, it's, it's a professional way of doing things and a very smart way of doing things as well. So I'm excited to see that. Hopefully it happens sooner rather than later. I know Corona is throwing a, a wrench in, you know, pretty much every competition aspect. Um, yeah. Where we're really not being – we're not able to see right now, like, what – it's going to happen on that competition day. But I might, I might see Rondell before I see Ashton, depending mm-hmm. on how things go. I mean, because, uh, worlds may or may not happen in June or July next year. And if, if that happens, then if Rondell's, uh, Federation can figure out how to send him there, then, you know, I'll see him there. And I forget the name of the Swedish athlete that's killing it too. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about put up a massive training total also um yeah the 105s are popping off yeah yeah, yeah it's really yeah it's, it's awesome to speak and it's, it's always going to be good for the sport and yeah i think it it also it often does ne- get neglected of what can be done on the platform this does happen mm-hmm. where people are like oh you should you know uh russ put up a 865 kilo in an unofficial meet he should just go home and like i mean there's occasional times that he does you know leave some weight on the platform so for a guy like noriega it's like you know you got to still compete and do that with that in mind um and then if it comes yeah. down to the situation you could have a strategy to beat him on competition if he if he has a bad meet which we're all capable of having bad meets you know yeah. you're you're beating him on that day so um healthy way of going about it where i come to it is this like what is the alternative the alternative is what you're gonna you're gonna go home you're not gonna compete at all mm. Like you just, you have to show up, you have to try, you have to push, 
And, and the only way not to feel shitty about yourself every day is to focus on yourself and not worry so much about other people. You know, and, and this is a really privileged position. You know, like 99.5% of people aren't in the position to worry about what other athletes are doing at the at the national level. And they're just focusing on themselves anyways. So mm-hmm. that's been one of the driving, like, guiding principles of TSA even, you know, with our athletes is um, focus on yourself, uh, celebrate your own goals, like be proud of your PRs, whatever they are. And, you know, when we share stuff online, I think we try to celebrate the the lifter who's been lifting for one year and, you know, just put a 10 kilos on their, you know, 200 kilo squat, just as important as, uh, you know, you throwing up your, your next PR or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I do enjoy, see, I do enjoy following uh, the strength athlete page because I get to see who's one getting coached and then I get to follow them and see how their progress is doing under say my coach um, or the other coaches on staff, because it's, it's, it's a, it's a good thing to see other competitors make changes in their training and making progress from that. That means one, it's working. The, the, what you guys are setting out there is working for people. And it shows that there's a level of compassion involved in each and every lifter. And I like seeing that, like, it doesn't really matter if it's a insane, all unofficial official world record. It matters to me if like if people are making changes and really getting through those sticking points that you know has has hurt them. So I, I actually do enjoy seeing that on uh, the the TSA uh, Instagram page. Oh, thanks, man. Yep, pretty sweet stuff. So actually, let me ask you this. I I've I've asked this you know a lot in past episodes and I haven't recently. So this would be a good time to ask. What is one piece of advice you would give a lifter just getting started in powerlifting? Uh, I want to talk about social media here because I think it's like this double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, it's fantastic to find this whole world of, uh, of lifters out there doing this thing you love. You can learn some new stuff about technique. You can learn about, you know, how athletes approach their training and, and see some huge lifts and stuff. I've seen uh, too many young lifters hyper-focus on the achievements of other people. And when you do that too much, you start to devalue what you're doing. You know, like, who am I as a brand-new lifter with my, you know, 120-kilo squat or something like that? I'll Mm -hmm. never get to to that level. And I think following uh, other lifters that are better than you is more demotivating than it is motivating. Mm -hmm. You know, so pick and choose your examples. Find some role models. I think role models are great. Uh, outside of that, try not to stay up on the regular increases of, you know, this or that person or king of the lifts and stuff like that. Like it's, it's great. It's a, it's a showcase of, of high level athletes, but you can quickly fall down this spiral of thinking worse of your own performances, uh, and focusing on the wrong things rather than, you know, just kind of appreciate it, take a look around and, and, you know, you don't want to wake up six years after you started powerlifting and being like, wow, I've, I, I've been thinking worse about myself this entire time than really enjoying what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to make sure that people avoid that. Oh yeah. That is, that's an excellent point. And I think you have to, you have to acknowledge social media now with young lifters. Like you have to, there's no choice but to do it because chances are they got into powerlifting because of social media. So it's either YouTube or Instagram that they followed mm-hmm. and that's why they got into it. They maybe start off with the inspiration, but Really, the the interesting for me when I look at uh, social media is once they like those lifters actually start getting good, like really good, 
and they start making mm-hmm. progress and then they start really and then they get high on piss and vinegar and then you see just a slow decline and that to me I'm like this is like a complete correlation between you and drinking the Kool-Aid on social media like you're getting mm-hmm. other people in your ear telling you to do things because this is what this competitor does and young people it's extremely impressionable this happens to you know young people just without powerlifting just in general in life um they start doing some stuff that i don't agree with they start moving weights i'm like no you 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 could you could stay in the pocket today hit rp8 and you still make excellent progress and maybe six years down the road you can beat the guy in your weight class that you're looking up to. You can be that national champion, that world champion. But I think a lot of lifters can be stymied on that because of the social media presence. And saying it's a, du- a double-edged sword is like, I can't think... I mean, I've been a victim. I want to say victim. That's being way too overdramatic. But um, I think I've, I've come into this realization that I've said on the show before, it's good and bad thing that, you know, the first time I competed was this level of, like, overwhelming joy like the very first like very first first two two times competed i was super happy with what i did um i you know accomplished a goal i was able to win competitions granted there were no usapl you know competitions but i was so happy with like moving weight that i didn't think was possible then as i started getting more into the sport like the satisfaction is gone but that still pushes me to lift more weight but the satisfaction isn't there like I, I make the, the correlation between at the Arnold when I was, you know, super happy, go nine for nine, uh, total over 1,700, hit all the goals that we wanted to hit, being happy for about, you know, three days. And then Tuesday, it's like, all right, well, let's be realistic. This is where I am ranked right now, and I want to move up in the ranking. As opposed to when I first started lifting, I was happy for about a month of what I did and uh, still trained, but I was just, you know, in a... In a in a better mood about myself and that the confidence was, um, was higher. So yeah, it's, it's strange. Yeah. It is strange to really like go through that. It's like, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Occasionally it can be bad. Um, but also, you know, occasionally that's what will help you move up in the rankings. There, there's probably these natural changes that take place too, mm-hmm. as a result of just purely getting better. You know, you get to a certain point and, uh, you know, X supplement company reaches out and says, Hey, let me sponsor you. Or, you know, you get a certain number of followers on, on social media and like you, you want to impress them or, or have stuff for them to look at on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe there's, there's national records at stake and, and, you know, there's a win of a competition or a team spot to make. And like these, what I'm really talking about here is, is the difference between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. You know, the stuff that you do for yourself, that PR that you set versus, um, all the things outside you, the, um, the records, sponsorships, the followers, that kind of stuff. And, and I think every lifter that, that stays with the sport for long enough has found a way to balance the two mm-hmm. in a way that, uh, keeps them in the sport. Oh yeah. And that's, uh, that, I mean, that's again, something that's very, very relevant to young lifters is that is the relevancy like, and in this sport, you have to stay relevant. Like I've seen, I I talked about it with Candido about like when someone isn't relevant for a little bit, they fall off. Not even from a social media, but aspect of a competition aspect, like people start neglecting their accomplishments because they haven't been relevant. And I use Ray Williams as an example. If you ask a lifter from 2016 to 2019, who's on the Mount Rushmore of powerlifting, 
throwing out USAPL and IPF, who is on the Mount Rushmore? Every single list will have Ray Williams. Now, <laughs> the guy, I mean, he's getting criticized for not being able to squat over 900 pounds, which is crazy. Um, that's that's a, always a strange situation to be in. But it's starting to get into the situation where if you start asking lifters who your top five is currently in the sport, they're not mentioning Ray Williams. And that's just a year or less than a year. It's an IPF and Nationals performance, which he won. He won his weight class still. And that's like this relevancy thing. And Ray Williams, in my opinion, doesn't give a shit. <laughs> but a 22-year-old in college who say might have won collegiate Nationals or have been putting up these crazy numbers, does care about relevancy. They do care about yeah. staying, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, if you will, in the sport, mm-hmm. because that's what's important to them. Ray, Will- I mean, I'm assuming Ray Williams yeah. is like, I've, I've accomplished a shit ton. I'm going to get better still, and but I have my own life that I'm kind of dealing with. That It's like the social media presence to me is not that important. It's such a primitive thing, you know, when you think about it, like, we're talking about like, you know, I'm ultra simplifying here, but in my head, it's really the same thing. You know, you're, you're in a hunter gatherer society and you know, your group is all of a sudden giving you a lot of attention and then your group is giving you no attention, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that like, <laughs> we live and die by emotions. Like we're social creatures and that's going to feel bad to just about anyone. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Again, I say this not as as far as an authority figure on it, like, hey, listen to what I have to say. It's like, I've been under that, too. Like, I I think was, you know, a a low confidence factor, like a low, like, self-image was after I competed in the USAPL at Raw Nationals. Like, I saw, you know, I'm ranked 14th in the nation. Like, I'm like, I I don't like that. Like, that's like, I'm, I'm like I'm not I'm not on the level of these guys and it kind of you know it did hit me for a little bit and I'm like would I be feeling the same thing if I just didn't focus on it at all like on social media I'm like only reason why I knew that is because somebody posts on social media and I saw my name 14th so yeah, like yeah. like you could you could spin it make a joke out of it but that I mean but at the same time that's the reason why I got coaching from Joe I was upset that I was mm-hmm. you know that low in the ranking. Um, and the progress that I've been going through hasn't been as well, as good as the other competitors. And I felt like I should be at least have a seat at the table, but yeah, yeah, it could be, and it's interesting. I always, uh, you know, it, it could be some somewhat interesting to play the game of like up and coming lifter. How long do they stick with it? How long do they stick with the sport? How long do they continue making gains? And what happens when they're going to hit a roadblock, which they will, this is something, if you're listening to Two White Lights, you are going to hit a roadblock anytime in your powerlifting journey. It's going to happen. What's going to happen when that does? You know, is it going to be des- is it going to be desperation where you're posting, you know, weird shit on social media, like, just to get people like, oh, you guys, remember me? Like, I'm, I'm here still. Like, this is, um, you know, and then, like, go- going completely off base of your training. Like, okay, here's a strap single that I hit randomly, and my coach is really upset for me for doing this. Um, or is it going to be, you know, I'm going to go dark for a little bit. I'm going to post my training. I'm going to post my progress and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's the conversation everyone has to ask has to have with themselves is, is why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's not to say there's one reason, you know, but I, I think having a heart to heart with yourself and saying, what am I doing this for? Uh, helps you out a lot. You know, and I hope the answer is because it's fun or because, you know, I feel better about myself when I powerlift it and, and that it's not about attention or, 
uh, other athletes or, you know, the rankings that you were talking about before or something like that. That stuff is frivolous. And I think you'll forget a lot of that stuff in hindsight anyways. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So I haven't done this segment in a while. Um, I usually try to save this for when I have a coach on, but technique tip. What is the best technique tip or cue that you have either received or given? Um, I know this one could probably be like, there's a lot of them, but there's one that you often find yourself going to, and it could be on any one of the lists. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting for me, especially these days, uh, foot pressure has been really big for me for all three lifts. Mm. Uh, cause I've been making some changes on my bench press, uh, but also because it's it's made a dramatic difference in both my squat and my deadlift. Uh, and that's just kind of focusing on feeling my full foot in contact with the floor. Um, that tends to help sort out these kind of small differences in center of gravity and make sure that, like, by the time I'm in the hole on squat, I'm really able to kind of push through and, and get my full legs involved in standing me up. And same thing for the deadlift, just kind of, like, really feeling... Uh, even pressure over my foot mm-hmm. and it, it just kind of it's dumb but it, it seems to sort out a lot of small changes in technique and, and make things more consistent yeah yeah I, I, that's something that i've been trying to work on too is uh is I, i've been feeling myself because i guess to switch to low bar i've been feeling my feet a little bit more and mm-hmm. um i've been feeling my feet a little bit more on my low bar squat and i'm trying to translate that to my deadlift as well uh, cause I see my, I see, I, I get a little bit of happy beat sometimes. So I'm trying to like, uh, yesterday I was really trying to dig into the floor with that stuff. And so yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty good one. Um, I like that. I think people neglect it too. I know I did for a while. Mm, I did too. Absolutely. All right. So on to the next segment, uh, two white lights, favorite word association. I'm assuming you know how word association works. I do. Uh, it's been a long time since I've done it, so I apologize for anything I do or don't say. <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I start off easy just to get, you know, a, a little rhythm going, and then I progressively get a little bit more outside the box, if you will. All right, so first one, squat. Deadlift. Why is that? I don't know. <laughs> Probably as a coach, like I'm, I'm talking so much about you know athletes all the time. Okay. Just, you literally said the first word that came to my mind, and I don't, all I right. don't know why. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a psych major, so I, I'm like, I'm trying to get some, uh, get some reasons why. All right. How about this deadlift? Socks. Okay. Nice. Gotta have the socks on. Bench. Uh, but. Okay, USA. Yeah, keeping my butt down. Oh yeah, um, that is a issue for me. That or that was an issue for me once I tried to start getting an arch, an actual arch, not the the one uh-huh. that didn't work for me forever. Um, USAPL. Gold standard. Nice, nice. Um, IPF. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just. I always think when I think of those, this is like this would be my word association. Cloudy, mm-hmm. cloudy with a chance of rain. Like USAPL, there's you know some some sunlight in there always. You know some like this bright thing. And then like IPF, I always think of like a cliche Eastern European city when I think of the IPF, and just kind of like uh, 
got it. We got this is what we got. We got to deal with it. So it's it's actually a good one. Just sad. Sheffield. Uh, missed opportunity. Yeah, I I I uh I did not know you were you got called um after someone dropped out. That's pretty sweet. Super last minute. It was like I don't know. It was like two. No, it wasn't two weeks before it. Um. They were going to make the announcement pretty soon. It was, it was three days before they had to cancel it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I snuck in there. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That would I would say missed opportunity is probably the bit what someone would uh, most commonly share because I was looking forward to that as well. And you know, having the chance of competing at it like you did was um, it had to be an awesome feeling. USPA. Oh, not. <laughs> It's not a, a word, but not as bad as people think. Mm-hmm. Like it, so USA powerlifting athletes like talk a lot of shit about USPA, but like that's they're they're talking about very specific things. You know, mm-hmm. there's a ton of amazing good people in in USPA, and and you know this whole like beef I think is a little bit unwarranted. Sure, you know everyone wants lifts to to be to a certain standard, and you know they want competitions to be a certain standard. And there's a little bit of this drugs versus anti drugs thing, but I just I think there's great people uh, in both feds. Yeah, I always felt there was a bit of a mutual respect though between USPA and USAPL because I think they're acknowledging at times like okay, we're the best non tested, and you're the best tested. So it's like I guess like as far as. I mean, the untested versus tested debate, I mean, that's always going to be contentious and, you know, possibly uh, possibly just yeah. throwing shade at each other for that reason. But I think there's a mutual respect. Like, if you ask a USAPL if there's like, okay, if you're going to do another Fed, what would it be? I think nine times out of ten they're going to say USPA. And this is uh, – I get this question yeah. commonly. It's like, what, which federation should I do? I'm like, whatever federation you want to do. I'm like, if drug-tested lifting is your – big priority then USAPL is the federation for you like that's but yeah. like if it's not your priority and, and if you aren't taking steroids and you still want to compete like do USPA then like that's uh-huh. that's perfectly fine it's like what what are your priorities those are the ones i would suggest for lifters yeah yeah my main my main gripes with USPA are that it's a for-profit organization and that kind of has some, some unintended consequences and uh, that early on they stole a lot of the materials from USAPL and repurposed them. So like the coaching course, for instance, was like just straight ripped off from USA powerlifting and, mm-hmm. and there's why like just, just make your own man. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I actually didn't know that, but that's uh, that's some useful information. Um, yeah. Conjugate. Uh, controversial. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Have, like, has there ever been a situation where you were curious to try it? Yeah, early on, I did. I did uh, like a a smarter version of conjugate, or at least smarter for a, a raw drug free powerlifter. Um, we were doing like an alternating uh, max effort dynamic for like you know kept a lot of those pieces in i had speed work in uh i was using bands i was using chains i was doing box squats and i got stronger but you know it doesn't necessarily mean that conjugate was you know the best Mm -hmm. i think a lot of 
the only problem with conjugate is like this dogmatism around it being the best and, and, uh, and stuff like that. There's great ideas there. You just have to take the ideas and have a good reason to try them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I would say controversial would get to the, to the point, but I think, I think there's a conjugate elitism too. Do it too, where it's like, there's always, yeah. there's always a difference between the two extremes. And then once people start realizing that if you constantly, um, if you, if you constantly say someone's elitist for something, you're inadvertently being elitist. Mm-hmm. Like, it always, like, there's always a massive contradiction to people who go on the super far side of extremes. Uh, and I, I think I've been guilty of this before, but I noticed that a lot of people who idolize Westside and Conjugate have, they would do, like, oh, you're a USAPL elitist. I'm like, wait, by default, aren't you a West Side Conjugate elitist? because you're saying that I'm an elitist like yeah it, it does uh kind of stem from like a, a ton of controversy uh in it too but I think I think there's enough information out there that you can most definitely if you're a raw power lifter can get stronger from it just is it the most applicable for the lifter um yeah, and I would argue yeah, on the other sure. side that it isn't just based on just me not even putting a science into account just me looking at trends mm-hmm. like Candido made this great point once like there's Look at the top 10, top 15, top 20 in the USAPL and ask them if any of them are doing conjugate. Right. None of them really are. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Burnout. Uh, overlooked. Over, yeah. Would you say, actually, I think I know your answer, but would you say more for young lifters? Like they just don't think that burnout's ever going to happen to them? Um, I think, I think for younger lifters, they probably don't experience burnout that much. Um, but you, you kind of get to this point where it becomes a lot more common. And I think, especially now with uh, with social media, it's becoming a little bit more common. But it was enough of an issue that it almost stopped me from from powerlifting or like losing my joy from powerlifting. So I did a lot of research into it because I wanted to understand it to make sure other people don't go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that that I care deeply about is is understanding this and making sure athletes don't go through it to the best of our ability. Yep, for sure. Yeah, it's something I think it can get to a uh, as a hot topic for lifters once they experience it. I think it's neglected until they actually experience it, and then that's when they start really researching it and doing these things. But that's human nature. That's that's going to happen. In everything. It's they you neglect something until it actually happens to you and like, okay, but I don't like this. Let's, let's try, let's try to find ways around it now. Right. Right. Ashkin Roska. Uh, <laughs> scary. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Funny. Ash, he is the sweetest human being ever. I guess yeah. his lifting is yeah. scary, but like, I know like maybe if I piss him off enough, I could get like the angry side of Ashton Roscoe and he will literally rip me apart. Like, like I just want to like, maybe if I see him in person enough and pester him, cause I know I, I've, I've, I've talked to him a lot. Um, there, he's such a nice dude, but like, if I put him like, can he actually rip me limb by limb? Cause I think he can. If he tried. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like, you know, it, we've seen a little bit of like the beef in the, the 74s and stuff like that. But like, I've talked with all the other, yeah. Quote unquote beef, um, beef. <laughs> yeah. Big quote for me. <laughs> the one of five athletes that I've talked to in the top 10 are just like, 
just sweet, humble, amazing people. And it's, uh, it's just really, really cool to see Ashton included. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to separate like Ashton as a person from athlete, uh, from Ashton as my competitor. Mm-hmm. And like, that's where the, the scary part comes in. Like it's, it's a challenge to my ability to keep being the best. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I guess I'll end it off with this because I have to go Stanek. It's sweet. Yeah. Just saying sweet. Yep. You're a sweetheart, um, Joe. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm adding like multiple plugs for Joe every episode. So <laughs> <laughs> I know he appreciates it. Yeah. Um, he's got some great projects in, in the works right now, but I, I, I still remember Joe shyly asking, uh, if he could go from being an intern to being, uh, one of the coaches and just kind of like taking one minute to, to ask this question, you know, that's a, a two second question to ask. And, uh, I'm sure that his heart was beating, you know, 150 beats per minute and just, uh, yeah. Um, he's amazing and, and he learns a lot and wants to do well and just has a really good heart. And I, I think that's, that's a really, really important thing. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that, that I, I would have to agree with you on that. And I'm very happy that he is a coach for TSA and I'm happy to be a part with, uh, with TSA because of him. Um, because he was the one who reached out to me, uh, at Raw Nationals and, you know, kind of planted that seed and very happy that he did that An excellent coach. And as, as far as all the other coaches at TSA too, uh, some, just a group that I've admired, um, since I started USAPL has been the TSA model. So, um, and I'm happy that you, the godfather, if you will, would, uh, was on the show. Oh, thanks man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this and, uh, be happy to get you on i'm thinking about this uh podcast that is also less sciencey um where i just get people to kind of open up about like struggles and uh just kind of a more personal side of them you know rather than the lifting and the science and stuff and i'd be happy to have you on for that well i obviously like to talk so yeah i would be more than happy to do that uh to come on and just shoot the shit about powerlifting and um all things considered so yeah absolutely man i would i would love that and uh, i know listeners of two way lights are happy to see you on it's a long time coming um i guess i was a little bit uh hesitant to have you on uh like last year because i was um a very lost puppy as far as like uh USAPL competitors go and like knowing what to ask certain people. So um glad you're finally on the show, dude. Well you're you're a seasoned interviewer now. You did yeah. a great job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I tell people who are making a podcast. Practice makes perfect. You gotta mm-hmm. interview a lot of, you gotta talk a lot in order for you to, you know, sharpen those skills. So um yeah, uh, thank you. For, I would love you have. Uh, I'd love to have you on again sometime. If there's ever a situation where it's in person, because uh, Zoom, I starting to hate it. Even though it's the best format for this, I'm starting to hate Zoom. So if there's ever a situation where I can get you in person, that'll be awesome. That'll be wonderful. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. All right, and I will see you the next time USAPL ever decides to have a national competition. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a lot of people are still hopeful that the Arnold happens, and I don't think that's going to happen, uh, just on a personal uh, opinion. But, um, yeah, I think me and Joe gave, like, a 95% chance if we're just not <laughs> – we're not counting on that really happening just based on the uh, the trends right now. Of yeah, society. I'm with you. Um, I'm with you. I think it's going to be – it's going to be a bit before we see national competitions again. 
Yep. And, um, yeah, but when we get national competitions, I would love to have some. I'll bring my laptop, do Audacity, some, uh, maybe it's going to be relatively low quality, uh, Audacity stuff, but I would love to have you on again. Cool, man. Looking forward to it. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. I had on the program the reigning USAPL national champion in the 105 kg weight class and also the founder of the strength athlete, Bryce Lewis. Uh, this was a terrific interview. I always enjoy talking to guys like Bryce because when someone is an extremely accomplished coach and extremely accomplished competitor and has contributed so much to the sport, it's always going to give this insight on the sport that I didn't have before. And I know I enjoy talking to him because it's always going to shed some light on information that I didn't know. Uh, and it was really interesting talking to him about how he got to start into powerlifting and how he transitioned his prior athletic experiences in volleyball and bodybuilding into being a competitor and also starting this extremely professional approach to powerlifting coaching that I think is the best in powerlifting. I might have a bias there, but I think it's the gold standard in powerlifting. And I see so many people mimic it. And it was cool to hear, you know, his philosophies on why he did that and the benefits of that uh, coaching staff approach to powerlifting coaching. Uh, we also talked to him about his him as a competitor. Um, he is in the ultra-competitive 105 kg weight class, and in my opinion, the best weight class in the USAPL and IPF, uh, and also the most entertaining. So I got his opinions on that and being competitor, uh, going against some of the monsters that compete in a 105 weight class, and also gives advice to young lifters starting off in the sports, technique tip, and we play word association as well. So terrific interview with Bryce. But before we get into that, got to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, go to leflarbros.com, use that promo code 2WL10 and get 10% off your order on any of their merchandise. Now, they have their baseball tees well on stock. That is what I'm going to be rocking primarily in the fall. They got their beanies as well. It's fall, almost winter, so I got to wear my beanies. They got the Two White Lights banners. Those are sold exclusively on Leflar Bros. You don't get those on twowhitelights.com. That is on Leflar Bros, and you can get all that with 10% discounted price if you use that promo code 2WL10. And all of you who are belong to Search the New Levels in Carroll Stream, Illinois, they have merchandise and two White Lights banners available to purchase at Surge. So be on the lookout for that as well. Also, 